You are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.acts2orlando.com. You're beautiful. Look at your neighbor. Say you're beautiful. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Oh, thank you, bro. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> really. Yeah. January 1st, 1863. A proclamation went out from the President of the United States declaring that 3.5 million black people were no longer slaves. It was an executive order that didn't need Congress. Church, there's something about what happens sometimes in the natural that has correlation to what happens in the spirit. And with Christ on the cross making the declaration, it is finished. There was an emancipation proclamation. That the church has been set free. We're no longer under the ritual, do-it-yourself, treadmill of religion. But yet there is still in the church today, like there was in 1863, a bunch of lies floating around. Plantation owners would say to their, to their slaves who had heard about the Emancipation Proclamation, they would say, yeah, he did issue that, but it's, gonna, it's something that's going to happen later. It's coming. It's not here now. It's, it's going to be in the future. This is going to happen. The same thing happened after World War II, 1945, September. Japanese surrender. Unconditional surrender. And for years after that, there were still Japanese soldiers on some of those southern Pacific islands waiting there, still fighting. People would go and say to them, the war's over, and they're like, nope, they want to keep fighting church. We do the same thing. I saw us doing something this morning, a little prophetic act. You guys okay with that? Good. <laughs> I want you to all stand up for a second. Because I don't have words. I, I don't have words to put together what's in my heart. And I certainly don't have words to put together what is in Holy Spirit's heart. But I feel like there's something for us to do this morning as a prophetic act. I saw this morning... The, a metal helmet that exists on us that's like religion. And oftentimes we get so comfortable with that that when the word of God comes, we don't, it bounces off of it because we have our own understanding. You know, Proverbs says, don't lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him, right? He will direct your path. So I saw us taking the helmet off. Can you all do that this morning? Just take the helmet off and throw it on the ground. Good. Jay kicked it. Anybody else want to kick it? Give it a nice big kick. Kick it away from you. Good. Do that one more time. Helmet off. Throw it out and kick it. Kick it away from you. Good. All right. Thank you. You can all sit down now. All right. Oh, welcome. Glad you're here. I started a, a series a few weeks ago. Thought it would be fun to go through the summer and do a series on Mythbusters. Yeah. We carry more religion around in us than we care to admit. And I think sometimes if we're not careful, we get stuck in believing what the slaves in 1863 believed. 
that the Emancipation Proclamation was something that was going to happen. It wasn't something that happened. And it happened with the proclamation. And it happened with the cross. You have been set free. You have been set free. Can somebody say amen to that? So, I'm continuing with the series, and today is part two of busting a myth. And the myth is this. Are you ready? Sanctification is a process. (gasps) I know. Some of you go kicking and screaming. Don't take my religion away from me. Don't take my process away from me. I'm not going to try to do that. I am going to tell you that there is a process of maturity and growing in the Lord, but sanctification is not a process. Sanctification is not a process. We can't afford to take scripture and define it according to our own earthly experiences. Most theologians would agree that Jesus Christ crucified the old nature and that the old man is dead. Would everybody agree with that? About a third of you in the room. We got a little more work to do here. Would most of you agree that Jesus Christ crucified the old nature and the old man is dead? Can you say amen to that? Good. Good. I do think that sometimes in the church we use our faith and our ability to raise the dead, and we raise that old nature, and then we spend the rest of our life trying to crucify it again. Instead of coming to a place which is difficult, grant you, it's difficult to come to the place of realizing that Jesus Christ, when he said, it is finished, he meant it. He meant it. That the old nature was crucified, it was done away with. Now, our challenge is that we take things in Scripture and put it off into future realities instead of, or future expectancies instead of present realities because we can't see it happening right now. So we'll take Scripture and we'll turn it to mean something else and when it really doesn't mean that at all. We end up defining Scripture by our own earthly experiences instead of what God says. This is why, church, meditation is so important. Does anybody in here know how to meditate? Everybody put your hand up. You know how to meditate. Every one of us in here knows how to meditate. I know how to meditate. The problem is I just got it on the wrong subject most of the time. I need to get it onto the right material. And when I start meditating on the right material, I get my mind renewed. Everybody say mind renewed. This is what we need, Romans 12, too. We need our minds renewed so that we start to think and process and believe the same way that Scripture says about who we are. Because we need answers as to why things are wrong or why we still do things wrong in the natural, this idea of progressive sanctification set in. And it says things like this. Although the sin nature is gone, I'm in process of putting my old man to death. Or we take passages out of context and say things like, I die daily. And we talked about that one last week, that it's not a process of dying daily. When, da- when Paul said that, he was talking about his message of the gospel was so scandalous and so controversial that every time he stepped foot outside of his house, somebody was trying to kill him. He actually said hourly. I face peril every hour. So the passage that I die daily doesn't have anything to do with me needing to die or clean myself up. It's a, ma- it's a message of the gospel. And I have to ask the question, if we started preaching the gospel like Paul was preaching the gospel, I wonder how much more persecution we would encounter. But when we preach a gospel that's laced with humanism and humanistic ideologies and do-it-yourself, get-on-the-treadmill-of-religion, when we preach that, honestly, we're more accepted. Why? Because in our human nature, we want to do something. We get caught in the doo-doo. Do this, do that, do this, do that. You got to do this. Listen, all those things are products of a relationship with Jesus. We want to work to get somewhere when really workers don't get anything done to try to get somewhere in the kingdom. 
Lovers, however, do a lot of work and they get a lot more work done than people who are trying to work. Does this make sense? So if, if I'm operating out of a place of absolute love and surrender, then what I produce is far more effective and far more fruitful than what I try to produce when I'm working. There's something to be said about learning how to rest in what Jesus has already said. I'm, I'm, I tell you, take Romans 6, 7, and 8 and just read it and meditate on it. Let your mind just ruminate over and over and over again on those passages of Scripture. They're so powerful. If you look really at the bulk of Paul's writings, what he's doing over and over again is he's telling us that Christ has issued us our death certificate. You're dead. You don't live anymore. The life that you live in the flesh, you now live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Come on, isn't that good news? It gets us off that treadmill. Ooh, got to keep doing it. Got to keep trying. Got to keep striving. I got to present well. I got to make people in the church think that I'm really spiritual because if they don't, they're going to think something's wrong with me. Listen, there is something wrong with you. There is something wrong with me. We need to be okay with that. We are growing into maturity. We are not trying to clean ourselves up. The process of sanctification, I think, is a horrid lie within the church, and it really hurts people because it leaves us wondering how far along the scale we are. How far along are you? Are you 40%? you 50%? How did you get there? And how do you know that you're that far along? I can't find anything in Scripture that tells me anything about that kind of process. How do I gauge it? All I know is if I live like that, I'm constantly looking at myself and second-guessing and questioning, and that is a problem. Because when I live like that, I can't fully operate in my identity and begin to do the things that Christ has called me to do. It, it demands that I look at it and go, I've got 0% possibility of making myself righteous, of making myself holy, of making myself sanctified. I have 0% chance of doing anything to possibly get that far. I would kill myself trying to get to 1%. Come on, is this helping you this morning? I'm trying to kick this thing and just kind of let's bury it. Let's get rid of this thing, this, this ideology that I'm in. A pro you are maturing. We are all maturing in the Lord, but it's completely different. Your starting point is way better than you think. The word says we're going from glory to glory, not garbage to glory. Your starting point is way better than you think. Everybody put your hand on your heart and say, I'm glorious. Yeah, right. It's not because of what you have done. Titus 3, 5, and 6 says that. It's not by works of righteousness which I have done, but according to your mercy you have saved me. I got nothing in me. Sanctification. That's one of those weird words. Everybody want to say sanctification with me? Sanctification. Yeah, it's one of those weird words. Sometimes you don't hear it outside the church, but you hear it inside the church. It's widely believed to mean a, a lifelong journey of becoming holy or removing sin or soul cleansing. It comes from this Greek word here. Let's put that up there. We looked at this last week, but I think it's good to refresh. Agazio. Set apart or make separate for God. Another version of it, variation. Hagio says holy or saint. It means set apart. Made holy. Made separate. Sometimes the word gets translated in certain Bibles as consecrate, which simply means to make or declare sacred. I like the word consecrate. I mentioned this last week. Has anybody ever grown up in a church where you start worship or you start prayer or somewhere in a prayer or a responsive reading or something, they'll say something like this, let's consecrate ourselves. I like that. I like that. Declare sacred. Yeah, I'm sacred. Everybody consecrate yourselves. I'm sacred, right? Come on, this feels good, doesn't it? I'm sacred. It gets me off that treadmill. It gets me off of that works mentality and just go, I got to come back to start thinking and acting and believing like, like God says I am. Sanctification is not a process. Sanctification is a person. 
1 Corinthians 1.30, look at this. And because of him, Jesus, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We don't think that righteousness is something that I can clean up and slowly get to. I'm not becoming more righteous. I'm made righteous because of him. Somebody say amen to that. It's the same thing. He's wisdom. He's righteousness. He's sanctification. My redemption is not just slowly happening. He's redeemed me. What's happening is I'm slowly waking up to the superior reality of heaven that I have been redeemed. And the more that I wake up to that reality and start believing that, my behavior starts to change. Hello? Jonathan and I, I worked him really hard the other day at the house. Had him hauling shrubs and brushing stuff like that. He's a good worker, man. Um, we were having conversations about this. I really do believe from a new covenant reality, after the cross, everything changed so radically that the only problem that I'm having in this life right now is what's going on right here. My thoughts determine my behavior. My beliefs determine my behavior. Let's say it this way. You cannot consistently behave in a way that's inconsistent with what you believe. You cannot consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent with what you believe. You can do it for a little while, but it's performance because you've got something standing in opposition to each other. I can behave in opposition to what I believe for a little while, but that's just religious performance. The reality is I can't sustain it. But if I change my belief system, now my behavior is born out of that belief, and I don't have to worry about trying to sustain it anymore. It's just there. This whole thing in the new covenant is about this right here. Do I have your attention here? What we believe determines how we behave. The church has turned Christianity into a moral club. And we've held morals at the highest standard. Believe me, they're, they're, they're valuable. We need that. But it's, those are fruit. That's a product. That's not my, I, those things come out of me simply because of what I believe. If I have to work to try to do those things, I guarantee you I can't do it for any consistent period of time. Church, where do you think we get this whole, I don't like going into church, it's full of hypocrites? Well, it is. And you're one too. If you can't think of any hypocrites around you, it might be you. Oh, God help us. He has become for us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. That's the word there, sanctification, how God's here. Look at this next passage, Luke eleven twelve. 12. I'm, I'm recapping from last week, but this is really important. Luke eleven twelve. 12. You're all familiar with this one. He said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know where that word is there? Hallowed. If sanct, it's hagazio. It literally is hagazio. And if you take that and make it, believe, make it to mean that sanctification is a process of being cleaned up, then we're saying your name has to slowly be cleaned up, God. Your name is in a process of being made holy and clean. No, it is. It's a binary state. Sanctification is a binary state. It's like pregnancy. You are or you are not. There is no in between. Come on, somebody say amen to that. Are you, come on, I just want to see a release come from this. This whole thing in Christianity, we live our lives so much living from some kind of religious affectation, stuff we've been taught, stuff that we believe. Satan wants nothing more than you to continue in believing a lie about who you are and what Christ has done for you. 
think about something with me for a moment. The angelic realm created beings, right? They don't reproduce. Okay? You still tracking with me? A third of them fell from heaven with the rebellion and Satan, right? So they haven't grown in population, but the number of people on this planet has exponentially increased. So I think things like this and go, how is it that they're so effective? If we outnumber them, if there's so many of us and we're just growing and growing and they're not reproducing themselves, how do they do that? Here's what I think. That if the demonic can get you to believe a lie and get it going on in your head, he can look at you and go, done, next, next, next. Because he doesn't have to come and try to beat people up and harass people who are already believing lies. They'll tailspin themselves. Is this, this makes me think, because honestly, the demonic realm, I've seen manifestations in the demonic realm. That is not what scares me. I've seen chairs move, tables move, stuff that's totally demonic, demonic, demonic manifestations. It is, that stuff doesn't scare me. What scares me are the ones that get in my head that I don't know they're there. The ones that you see, that's low-level, low-level manifestation demonic activity. That's nothing. It's the stuff that gets in your head. It's the stuff that gets you to believing something contrary to Scripture, and then I find myself tailspinning simply because of what I believe, because all behavior is born out of belief systems. So I want to look at a few things. These are terms that we see in the, in the church a lot, and I think they just get misapplied. They're good, they're right, we need them, they're biblical, but I think our application sometimes needs a little bit of tweaking. Here's one right here, Luke 14, 27. Take up your cross. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Jesus is in no way saying we must die for our own sinfulness by carrying our own cross. That is not even remotely what he's talking about. Nor is he saying you still have a sinful nature and you need to destroy it. How could you do that in the first place? If you could possibly do that, there would have been no need for him. If you could do it at all, there would have been need, no need for him. Here's what Jesus is saying. You ready? Cease from your own self-efforts and self-driven attempts at spiritual advancement. Takes on a different light now, doesn't it? Cease from your own self-efforts and self-driven attempts at spiritual advancement. We're following... After Christ's sacrifice, we're not trying to mimic it. I have to take whatever I'm doing and run it past the finished work of the cross and look at it and go, am I trying to do something that Jesus has already done? And if I'm trying to do something that Jesus has already done, I need to stop that thinking, let myself settle into what he has done and say, okay, Holy Spirit, help me. He, Jesus said, I will send you another. And he said, he will guide you into all truth. He will remind you of the things that I've spoken and show you things to come. So I have to pause in the moment and go, okay, Holy Spirit, show me. What, what do I need right now? Because I don't want to get stuck on that treadmill of religion. I don't want to keep trying to do something over and over again. And I oftentimes see this in the church, and I hope you guys can understand where I'm coming from. The whole goal of this is not to say we've got something right, somebody's got something wrong. I can't stand that stuff. But I am really, really interested in the church becoming free. I'm very, very interested in that. I, I don't know who said this statement, but it's stuck in my head that we will know when we're truly free when we start to realize we are a product of his decisions, not mine. We will know when we're truly free when we start to realize we are a product of his decisions and not mine. 
that's freeing. That's a weight lift. If I carry my own cross, then whose cross did Jesus die on? Galatians 2.20 says, I'm crucified with Christ. He didn't need to be penalized. He was perfect. He took me. He took humanity. He took all of us, all of our sin, sickness, disease, everything, put it on himself, took it to the cross, and as we killed him, and we did, as we killed him, in that act, it set us all free. That will bake your noodle. That's crazy to think that all of humanity killed him, and in killing him, it sets us free. Any system of religious beliefs that puts the emphasis on what you need to do for the Lord rather than what he has done for you detracts from the glory of God and spits on the work of the cross. Can I say that again? Any system of religious beliefs that puts the emphasis on what you need to do for the Lord rather than on what he has done for you detracts from the glory of God and spits on the work of the cross. When I think about these things, church, I, it, it gives me cause for pause. I need to stop. I need to think. Because I hear a lot in the church. I hear people praying prayers. And if you really listen, there's a lot of prayers that go on out there that ask Jesus to do something that he's already done. Or it asks God to give us the strength to do something that we could never do. You with me? Yes. Pay attention to these kinds of things. Either asking God to do something that he's already done or asking him to give us strength to do something that we could never do. I, I don't know how this works with you, but this to me brings the fear of the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord is not something that hum, human nature can even muster up. I can't. But when I think about the ridiculousness of the cross, the absolute scandalous nature of the cross, it causes me to come back to a place and look at him and go, my God. What am I going to do? It's all you. It's all you. It's all you. Anything that I have, anything that I can possess, anything that I can give, it comes from you. It doesn't decrease my own personal value. I don't feel like a piece of trash. I'm not saying that. I think that's demonic in nature too because Jesus doesn't die for trash. He dies for things that have value. So I don't, it's not that I'm saying I can look at myself like that, and I don't want anybody ever to look at themselves like that. It's like when worship leaders say things like, I just want to disappear, and all you see is Jesus. No, don't do that. Don't do that. He's chosen to reveal himself through humanity. And the way I see God coming through you is the only way I'm going to see God in that facet. It's the only way I'll see it. There is no one else like you on this planet. Are you, are you tracking with me? So it's not like this self-deprecation kind of thing where I look at it and go, oh, I'm just a waste of skin. I'm breathing somebody else's good air. <laughs> there I go talking again. It's not that kind of thinking. I think that really is demonic in nature. What we really need to recognize is the absolute fear of the Lord. When he, It's like you died for us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, the word says. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. It doesn't say anything about the earthen vessels being bad. It just says that it's in an earthen vessel. But when the treasure is in the earthen vessel and I get vulnerable enough to let that thing out, that's the most beautiful thing ever. When I come to a place of recognition that I have absolutely zero ability to bring myself into any kind of righteousness or sanctification, that it's all Jesus. Now I can worship him. 
Now I can worship him at a new level because those things that I thought that I could do on my own that I'm recognizing that I can't, even that belongs to him. I worship him. I worship him. Here's another one. I hear this one sometimes. Work out your own salvation. You got to work out your own salvation. Work it out. I used to hear that. Did anybody else hear that growing up? You need to work it out. I, I like, how do you do that? I grew up asking that question. How do you do that? Work it out. Well, how do I? I am, I'm like totally at a loss. I don't know what you're talking about here. Work it. What do you mean? What does that look like? Do I need to pray more? Need to fast more? Those things are great, but you can't get anything as a result of those. Hello? Fasting is good, but if you're fasting in order to get something, you're fasting for the wrong reason. Fasting should be internal. Hello? I'm fasting to tell my body to stop thinking a certain way, and I want to make it stop thinking a certain way. You guys know what I'm talking about? When I fast, and I don't fast long periods of time. I'll probably do a day. But when I fast, here's what happens. My body starts saying, eat food. And in that moment, when I hear my body saying that, that's when I turn and go, okay, God, what do you want to show me now that I couldn't receive earlier? Just, I'm, I, wanna, I don't want to be my own natural realm to block whatever it is that you're communicating. You hear what I'm saying? I'm not doing it to get something from him. I'm stopping this stuff from talking. That was good, Andrew. Right there, that was really good. Philippians 2, 12, 13 says this. Here's Paul. He's talking to the church at Philippi, and here's Paul. He's writing to him, say, guys, I'm about to cash it in. It's about over for me. I'm going to buy the farm. It's over. But I want to tell you something. All these things that I have been telling you before, I need you to work it out. I need you to sit down and do the math. This is what the way translation says. I love it. It says, since I'm far away, work out with fear and self-distrust your own salvation. You have not to do it in your unaided strength. It is God who is all the while supplying the impulse, giving you the power to resolve, the strength to perform the execution of the good pleasure. Come on, there's a release in that, isn't there? New King, James, New King James says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Ooh, but we forget that the passage right after it says, for it's God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. What's he looking for? He's looking for surrender. He's looking for the religious mindset to stop the spinning and the striving and the, all this stuff. And he says, work it out. In other words, take all the things that I've showed you guys, add it up, put them in a column, add them up, and come up with the same figure that I came up with. And it's this, God works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do the math. Come up with this thing right here. It's about not trusting yourself at all. It's a fearful thing to trust in your own efforts for any aspect of salvation. Here's another one, the holiness factor. Just becoming holy. Got to be more holy. Got to be more holy. Holiness is both demanded and empowered. It's both demanded and empowered. Uh, let's go ahead and put these up here. Leviticus 11. I didn't write the passage. Leviticus 11.45 talks about it. It's the first mention of where it says, Be holy, for I am holy. Jesus has a, a statement where he says, Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Peter went on to write in 1 Peter 1.16, Be holy, for I am holy. Now, I've heard that a lot in the church. Be holy, for I am holy. And then that puts me in the position of, What do I need to do to become holy? Not recognizing that it's in the command itself that empowers my holiness. Be holy, for I am holy. You guys know who Graham Cook is? guy's a beast. He says this, this is not merely a command. Jesus speaks it into you as a benediction. Just as he said, let there be light, his word forms it within you. Come on. 
come on. I'm going to read that again. Please. Graham Cook. This is not merely a command. Jesus speaks it into you as a benediction. Just as he said, let there be light, his word forms it within you. So when you hear him saying, be holy, he just shoved it into you. He just caused it to happen right there. If we continue to see sanctification and holiness in degrees, we will forever find ourselves on that treadmill of religious self-effort. It's, it's almost like we want to offer to God what we do. When Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what's God's. Dr. Gladstone said once, and I use it all the time, I think it's a powerful statement. He said, the only thing that pleases God is what he does himself. The only thing that pleases God is what he does himself. That's kind of like, what? Well, the word says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So my faith pleases God. Yeah, where'd you get your faith? (laughs) Romans 12 says, he has given to each one a measure of faith. Where'd you get that? Where'd you get your love? Where'd you get anything? The only thing that pleases God is what he does himself. I think sometimes our religious church activity, it's kind of like this. Like, Kevin, where are you? Back there, Kevin McGee. Where is he? He's back with sitting over there. Kevin, doesn't he do an awesome job? You guys get some smack food. You get some amazing goodies in there, and that coffee is good and all that stuff. He's amazing at that stuff. And he, he'll bake that stuff before he comes here and make it. And it's like, it's always really wonderful. I think sometimes, though, not, I'm not picking on you with this. I'm just using this as a picture that sometimes it's like we want to bring good gifts like that to God. So we'll bake stuff and we'll say, God, here's what I did. Here, here, take this. This is good, you know, in our religious attempt. And it's like, no, that's not really what I'm looking for. And it ultimately, if it's got man in it at all, in my attempts, it's tainted. Are you guys tracking with me? It's kind of like Kevin coming in and saying, I made some cookies, and it's like this is what we would give to God with our own self-efforts. I made some cookies for you. Here, there's only like 2% poop particles in it. (laughs) How many are going to rush to that table? (laughs) Well, actually, we've reduced it now, and we've gotten it down to 0.2%. Anybody in? (laughs) You know, I'm being silly, but you hear what I'm saying. We have to come back to the realization that it's really, I don't have anything here. My value is not based on what I do. My value is based on what he's done inside of me. I just wonder, what would it look like if we really started to think like this? How much of the performance, even inside the church, would stop? How you doing, brother? I'm blessed and highly favored. Okay. Okay. Hello? (laughs) So I have to ask the question, if that's how we think, how far along are we? And how do you know that you're there? I don't know about you, but that makes me very, very nervous to think about that. Here's some troubling verses that we run into, and I think a lot of times this is why we see what we see in Scripture. New King James Version of Hebrews 2.11 says this, For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Well, there you have it, Andrew. There's the being sanctified. Hebrews 10, 14, very similar, says this, by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. The only problem is 
that word there, sanctified, being sanctified, how it's translated in a lot of passages, it's an aorist tense. It might as well just say God sanctifies. We put the being word in it. Or sometimes some translations will say may God. I think we'll hear, see that one in just a moment. May God, when it's not really in the text. I like how New Living Translation puts Hebrews 2.11. It says, so now Jesus and the ones he makes holy, right? That's sanctification, right? Agazio makes holy. Now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. You see the difference? That's appropriate. Why? It's putting it all back on Jesus. He's the one that does it. Hebrews 10:14, Passion Translation. I love that one. And by his one perfect sacrifice, he has made us perfectly holy and complete for all time. Come on. Into the game. Game over right there. He has. And by his one perfect sacrifice, made us perfectly holy and complete for all time. When we hear things like this, being sanctified, it's kind of like when you hear people say things like, all my friends are, are getting married. Is getting married a 10-year process of putting on tuxedos and doing rehearsals and then ultimately? No, it happens in one ceremony. What I'm suggesting is that when, when people say things like that, we're being sanctified, okay, there's a lot of people who don't know who they are that are coming into the revelation of sanctification. Hello? It's like saying, though, I have friends who are getting married. Well, it's not a 10-year process. They come to the altar, they say something, and they're married. It's a, it's a one-step process. <laughs> you move right into it immediately. There you are. It's done. That's a good thing. With one sacrifice, he has accomplished the work of setting them apart forever. That's God's word translation. With one sacrifice, he has accomplished the work of setting them apart for God forever. There is one passage here, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Here's one that can get a little sticky. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you. There is, Hegazio, you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless as the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Again, that word may isn't in the text. It doesn't, it's not in there. I don't know why translations do this. I don't know why if it just makes us feel better. I'm not sure what this is about. Now, I'm not, I'm not a uh, Greek scholar. But I read a lot of people who are. I just let them do all the hard work, and then I can glean from them. And I look at a lot of, a lot of theologians, and they'll, they'll say the same thing. You won't see a lot of translations saying on the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, sanctified be your name. Has anybody ever had a translation say that? I've never found one. It's because we have this understanding that sanctification is this thing of process of getting cleaned up, so you can't use that word. So we'll use the word hallowed. The same thing happens in other passages of Scripture. If we approach Scripture with the theology that's inconsistent with Scripture, we will find whatever way we can to make it say what we want it to say. I'm telling you guys, listen, once I encountered Jesus, everything changed when I read the Bible. Everything changed. I, I lived for 32 years believing that every time I read the Bible, I walked away from it going, man, I suck. <laughs> oh, God. It was depressing. I would read it and go, oh, oh God, I got to do that better. I read passages like Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. God, I need to be more patient. I just need, I'm going to try to be more patient. I'm just wondering how often God's looking at us going, good luck, pal. <laughs> How's that working for you? 
But when you encounter Jesus, it demands that you see it different. Why? Because when I see the Bible through his lens of how he sees me, it cha- sees me, it changes everything. I used to read it and think, God, there's something wrong with me. God, I need to do this more. Oh, my God, I'm still like, still this sinful waste. I'm still, no, 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 not at all. Once you encounter Jesus and you start to read it, you start to recognize how crazy scandalous this thing is. And if anything, it puts us back in that position of going, my God, I got nothing here. Got nothing to bring. Here I am, though. You want me. You love me. Whatever you want to do with it. Is this helping this morning? Just to move us into a place of absolute surrender. So here we have this again. Hagazio. The word's in aorist tense. It could just say God sanctifies. And that word, even, kept blameless, shows perfection. It's not coming, but it's happened. If he's, he's keeping you blameless. Even if you want to use that translation, he's keeping you blameless. You don't keep something that you don't have. I went through and looked at it. Can I just, can you humor me for a minute in my own little personal translation of that passage right there as I really sat down and looked at it for what it was. This is what I came up with here. For whatever it's worth, I'm not saying this is sacred scripture. I'm just saying. And himself, the God of peace, is the one who sets all of you apart completely. The whole spirit, soul, and body. He's not trying to compartmentalize and give us a theology on tripart beings. He's not trying to do that. It's like someone coming to me and saying to you, I pray that God blesses you tomorrow, today. I pray that he blesses you when you sleep. I pray he blesses you when you wake up. You hear what I'm saying here? There's just this attitude of I want every aspect of your person to get in on this thing. It's the same thing he's saying in this passage here. And he himself, the God of peace, is the one who sets all of you apart completely. Your whole spirit, soul, body is preserved blameless into the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will preserve you. It actually affirms perfection, not filthiness, that whole passage. It actually affirms perfection, not filthiness. But in our minds, if we think that we're something wrong with us, we're going to read everything through that lens. Is this helping this morning? To move us away from this kind of thinking. I want to see the church set free. I want us to start living like we're supposed to live. Let's not live like the 1863 slaves who were bought into the lie that said at some point it's going to happen. At some point, church, you're going to experience true freedom. At some point, and what does that make us do? It keeps us looking for something that's already happened. And if I keep looking for something that's already happened, I keep hoping the day, the day's coming, the day's coming. Listen, I'm wondering how much prophetic stuff in the church would change if we got a hold of this. When we hear prophetic words like God's, I hear this, not picking on anybody, but when I hear things, God's doing a new thing. Dude, I haven't even caught what he did 2,000 years ago. You're way ahead of me. Stop for a minute on that prophetic word. I need to catch this one first. God's pouring out his spirit. Well, he did that too. He poured it out on all flesh. Everybody got in on it. I'm still trying to figure that one out. You guys tracking with me. But when we put things out into, oh, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it puts us back on that treadmill. I'm going to keep moving then. Look at me. Six million dollar man. Yeah, if you're my age, you get that. Here's another one. This is the last one. I'm going to give you this one. I'm going to wrap it up. Man, I'm doing good on time here. Okay, here's another one. This death idea. That ultimately death is where final perfection comes. <laughs> that is so bad. It's so bad. I don't know about you guys. I grew up with it. Now, hopefully I'm speaking to more in the room and I'm not just talking to myself here. But there was somehow this thing that I was brought up with that I'll be absolutely perfect when I die. And I'll get out of this evil sin suit that I live in. Yeah. 
Because, you know, you know, this is terrible. This is evil. Everything about this is evil right here. It's not true, by the way. Your flesh is not evil. Flesh, sarks, Greek word, flesh, bones right here. Go look at John 1. Jesus became flesh, bone. He became sarks. Jesus wasn't evil. It's not this. We'll get into that a little bit later. We have this thinking, though, with death that says, one day when I die, I'll be completely holy and sin-free. Hmm. So now Jesus is no longer your Savior. Death is. Hmm. Death, which is the wages of sin, is somehow the final cleanup from sin. That doesn't make any sense. Dr. Adam Clark, he's a theologian, 1800s, really brilliant, brilliant guy. He has a lot of writings out there. He wrote a little article called Entire Sanctification. I thought this would be apropos to read. Protestants, how positively do they hold out death as the complete deliverer from all corruption and the final destroyer? That doesn't... Of sin, yes. Final destroyer of sin, as if it were revealed in every page of the Bible. There is not one passage in the sacred volume that says any such thing. Were this true, then death, far from being the last enemy, would be the last and best friend and the greatest of all deliverers. For if the last remains of all the indwelling sin of all believers is to be destroyed by death, and a fearful mass this would make, then death that removes it must be the highest benefactor of mankind. Now, all of us would look at that and go, yeah, yeah, you're right. That makes, yeah, that's good. But do we really believe that? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that when I die, finally, perfection is going to come? The word doesn't say anything about that. As a matter of fact, it says the opposite of it. I will spend the, nat- the rest of my natural born life getting my mind to start believing what this book says. Therein lies the struggle. Therein lies the maturity. The maturity is not trying to be more spiritual. If you do that, forget it. It's not going to work. You can't become more spiritual. Well, if I start prophesying more, if I get better words of knowledge, or if I can pray for people and they're going to get healed, and if I can do that, then I'll be more mature. No, that's not maturity either. Because those things are called gifts, and gifts are free. Anybody gets those. Your maturity is not based on how well you prophesy. Can somebody say amen to that? Neither is your ability to do miraculous signs and wonders and uh, a, a badge of approval from God saying that everything in your life is okay. Didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I cast out demons? Didn't I do all that? That has nothing to do with maturity. Those are gifts. Gifts are free. If you had to do anything to get them, it would no longer be a gift. It would be earned. Come on, somebody's getting free right now. Maturity, however, will cost you something. That's going to cost you something. But what it's going to cost you is an ongoing way of life where you're taking what this book says, you're running it through the grid of your own humanistic, self-righteous thinking and going, wait, that doesn't line up. This bothers me. It bothers me that I can't make myself more sanctified. It bothers me that I can't make myself more righteous. Listen, church, you and I are never going to be able to do it. Let's settle it. Let's settle it. Let's move on. Let's start meditating on what it says, finding ourselves absolutely free, being able to walk in such a way that we bear fruit, lasting fruit, lots of fruit. Anybody want that? Yes. Me too. Paul's writings, I'm going to finish with this, were continually showing us our death, certif- death certificate, not a list of criteria that we need to fulfill. 
In Corinthians, he even says, I have done gone out my natural mind. <laughs> now, that's the Andrew Lamb translation. He says, if I'm out of my mind, it's for God's sake. But if I'm of sound mind, it's for your sake. He lived in such a euphoric ecstasy with God. Third heaven kind of stuff. Crazy kind of out there. Even that passage we use about death where it says, I want death to be swallowed up by immortality. We use that passage, 1 Corinthians 5, as some kind of, well, if death comes, then I'm, I'm, then I'm going to be perfect. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I don't want to be unclothed. I want to be further clothed. He's saying, in this natural life, I want so much of the heaven reality to be clothed on top of me that you can look at me and go, that's other. This is Mount of Transfiguration kind of stuff that happened to Jesus. He's our model, right? I'm still waiting for that to happen inside of me. I want to glow. I really want to glow. I think that's what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 5. He says that if we are out of this body is to be present with the Lord. That's not talking about dying. He's talking about being aware of something so superior, so far out there, that he's absolutely so present with the Lord that the, the mortal gets swallowed up by immortality. Oh, yeah. Hold your hands out a second. Jesus. Jesus. Lord, I, I just pray that whatever we carry around that's not of you right now, Lord, we need Holy Spirit intervention. We need a Holy Spirit intervention, an encounter that moves us out of religious activity of treadmill living, do-it-yourself, self-righteous religion, that it get, we get moved out of that. Lord, I pray over everyone in this room that we have dreams and visions, encounters, that audible voice of God would begin to happen that the angelic realm would begin to communicate. We would recognize it in such a way that when they're communicating, we know what's happening. Lord, I'm praying for all of us that we would learn how to step into new creation realities, that the old is gone, the new has come, the new has come. Lord, I want more than just my idea of new. I want your idea of new. I want to know the real Andrew the way you've created me. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer teams, go ahead and make your way up here. If you guys need prayer for anything, this is what we do here. You need healing, uh, get yourself up here. Every week, something happens. Somebody's getting healed. Somebody's getting something here. If you just want someone to agree with you, maybe God's speaking something to you this morning and you just want somebody to agree with you on that so it doesn't leave your mind, do it. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 Podcast. Love God, love people, and live life.